Hello and welcome to the 2021 Dublin Literary Award Shortlist Podcast, presented as part of International Literature Festival Dublin. Hi, my name is Maeve Higgins. And my name is Jessica Trainer. And in this special podcast series, we're exploring each novel in detail as we chat exclusively to the authors shortlisted for the award. Now, the winner will be announced on the 20th of May as part of International Literature Festival Dublin, which, like the award, is sponsored by Dublin City Council. The award is the world's most valuable annual prize for a single work of fiction in English or translated into English worth €100,000 to the winner or winners. On today's episode, we are looking at A Paragon by US-based Irish writer Colin McCann. I would say this is probably Colin McCann's most ambitious work to date. Now, that's a bit of a cliche to say, but really, A Paragon is massive. It's 450 pages and it's written in 1,001 sections. The author calls those cantos. Some of them are just like a line or two um, and others are whole pages. And really, it's a big novel. It's full of ideas that are totally absorbing ideas about borders, about violence, but also about the power of friendship and a feeling of belonging. And so the title, A Paragon, Jessica, did you know what what that means, what that word means? I have to embarrassingly admit that I do not. <laughs> it's not embarrassing. I, I didn't either. I had to look it up. And <laughs> for the listeners, uh, and a paragon, it's a shape with a countably infinite number of sides. So already I'm like, what? It's a fascinating word, I think. And it's an even more fascinating book. So I'll do a quick summary. It goes like this. Um, Basim Aramin is Palestinian. Rami El-Hanan is Israeli. And they live in Jerusalem, meaning both men inhabit this world of, you know, amongst other things, conflict, right? The colors, every aspect of their daily lives, though not to an equal extent, Now, the inciting factor, um, certainly in the book and and really in their lives, because this is based on a true story, is that both men have lost their daughters. Lost their daughters does not do justice to the horror that befell these poor children. Rami's 13-year-old girl, Smadar, was killed in a suicide bomb. She was just out shopping with her friends and she was blown up. And then Basim's 10-year-old daughter, Abir, was shot and killed by the border police just as she was leaving school. So naturally, as you'd expect, their whole families, like the worlds of the families, they shift irreparably after the death of their girls. And, you know, the two men did not know one another, but eventually they both met. And when Basim and Rami met and learned of one another's stories, they recognized this huge loss um, as one that connects them. So While all the signs point to the fact that they should be enemies, that is not what happens. They go the other way. They become close friends and together with other grieving families, they try to use this loss and and their sadness um, as a light in a very dark place and as they call it, as a weapon for peace. That's so interesting. And I think Mm. that that's something that that runs throughout a number of the books on this year's shortlist, the notion that people are having to kind of transcend the difficulties of their lives and look at a bigger picture. Um, And that we live in this very, very complex world whereby stories and issues are very rarely black and white. Do you think Colin McCann kind of captures that in this novel? 
Yeah, certainly. And I think, you know, another thing that's common in this list is there's a lot of um, in real life basis for the novels. And of course, in real life, just as in fiction, we know that there are these gray areas and, you know, massive props to all the writers for for taking that on. And I spoke to Colin McCann, you know, about that fact that he he found these frankly quite scary gray areas in a real place. And, you know, he stayed with it. He uses the real names. He collaborates with the families. He did massive research. Um, and by doing that, like, yes, he's telling the truth of of these two families, of these two men. But he gets into the heart of of this terrible conflict as well, you know. Yeah, it seems to be a real testament to the the idea of the transformative power of empathy and how fiction can kind of open that up for readers from all over the world and create that sense of of universality. Yeah, the transformation element is really is really true what you're saying Jessica. Like in this one where you'd expect these two men Israeli Palestine having suffered so much um you know to say you're my enemy, but they transform. They they refuse to, you know, take part in this brutal game. And so I thought a really good piece for, you know, for us and for the listeners to hear would be uh, this short piece. It's in the middle of the book. It's it's Rami um, El-Hanan, right? And he's talking about the first time he attended what's called a parent circle in Jerusalem. And that's, again, that's that's a real thing, right? The Parent Circle Families Forum, it's a grassroots organization of Palestinians and Israelis who have lost uh, family members. So we'll hear now, you know, his revelations, which kind of began, this transformation began when he joined this meeting and he saw Palestinians. Uh, he says it's the first time that he saw Palestinians as human beings. So, wow. yeah, so... Um, Jessica, would you read it? I think it'll give everyone listening some insight into how, you know, this transformation into the way that dads think today. Some people have an interest in keeping the silence. Others have an interest in sowing hatred based on fear. Fear makes money and it makes laws and it takes land and it builds settlements and fear likes to keep everyone silent. And let's face it, In Israel, we're very good at fear. It occupies us. Our politicians like to scare us. We like to scare each other. We use the word security to silence others. But it's not about that. It's about occupying someone else's life, someone else's land, someone else's head. It's about control, which is power. And I realise this with the force of an axe, that it's true, this notion of speaking truth against power. Power already knows the truth. It tries to hide it. So you have to speak out against power. And I began back then to understand the duty we have to try and understand what's going on. Once you know what's going on, then you begin to think, what can we do about it? We could not continue to disavow the possibility of living alongside each other. I'm not necessarily asking for everyone to get along or anything corny or airy-fairy, but I am asking for them to be allowed to get along. And as I began to think about this, I began to think that I had stumbled upon the most important question of them all. What can you do personally in order to try and help prevent this unbearable pain for others? 
All I can tell you is that from that moment until today, I've devoted my time, my life to going everywhere possible, to talk to anyone possible, people who will want to listen, even to people who will not listen, to convey this very basic and very simple message, which says, we are not doomed, but we have to try and smash the forces that have an interest in keeping us silent. Wow, that really could um, be applicable to so many different societies around the world, Maeve, couldn't it? And I think that we often feel quite an affinity or a a recognition of this particular struggle in Ireland. Um, And particularly at the moment, what's going on in the North uh, brings it all very much to mind again. Yeah, it does. It certainly does. And I mean, you know, Colin McCann has has written specifically about Northern Ireland in, in previous novels and now you know this is this is Israel this is Palestine and i suppose that's one role that art can play you know or good writing anyway shining a light on one small part of the world a tiny part of the world one relationship even and suddenly we see the universality in that yeah, it's like this gorgeous ripple effect, isn't it? Like a tiny pebble falls in the water and the ripples kind of spiral out. And I think that's probably what every writer wants to achieve is, is to even be able to, you know, change the mind or place a new idea in the head of one person. Um, and it's lovely to see on this short list so many novels that try to achieve that sense of making a difference through empathy. Well, I can't wait for you to um, hear what Colin McCann has to say about that. So without further ado, let's, um, let's listen to my chat with Colin McCann, the author of A Paragon. You know, I just, I want to say congratulations on the nomination, obviously, but mainly well done on this book. It's stunning. It's really complex. It's really thoughtful and it definitely asks very tough questions, I think. You know, uh, as a reader, I was definitely like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, well, you know, thank you so much. I mean, to be uh, in the mix with the, the people who've been nominated for this award and also just the, the, the award itself, uh, you know, it means so much because it's so global and and, and, yeah. and, and it hits on so many, uh, you know, different angles. And, you know, we're talking about libraries and we're talking about democracy in, in so many ways. So for the book to to, to, to get the nod uh, was was a really extraordinary thing. I'm, I'm deeply, deeply grateful. Oh, good. Yeah, it's a great list, isn't it? I mean, um, myself and Jessica, who's a poet in Ireland, um, we get to talk to all the authors and it's just such a great six books and they're all deadly. They're all really different to one another as well, which is, I mean, obvious, I guess that would be obvious. I mean, I couldn't see like another person writing a Paragon, for example, or even, you know, coming up with this. And that's where I want to start, you know, at the, at the beginning. So the first time that you heard the story of these two dads whose daughters were sadly killed in this conflict, um, could you describe where you heard that story and your first encounter with these men? Absolutely. Um, I went to um, Israel and Palestine with a group that I'm involved in called uh, Narrative 4, which is a global story exchange organization, mostly for young people. Hmm. And we were, uh, there's a group of activists and artists and we were, we went to, um, and we 
toured around on a bus for, for a couple of weeks. And on my second to last day, my heart was already blown wide open by what I'd seen and heard. But on my second to last day, I walk up this rickety staircase in a town called Beit Jala, which is just outside Bethlehem, just near to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, you know, it was four o'clock in the afternoon. It was rainy. It was cold. I didn't really want to be there anymore. I wanted to go back to the hotel and get myself a, a stiff drink. And <laughs> these two men were sitting there. And I thought, okay, well, you know, uh, I'll hear another story. And within half an hour, my life was completely changed when I listened to them. It was Rami El-Hanan and Bassam Aramin, one Israeli, one Palestinian. Mm-hmm. And, and, and honestly, it felt like they'd pried open my rib cage with a crowbar and taken my heart out. And I was changed. And I thought that I was hearing the story for the very first time. I found out later, of course, that they not only told that story a couple of times already that day, mm-hmm. but they've been telling it for years and years and years. But for me, it had the freshness uh, and the grief and, 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 and the beauty and the courage of these two incredible people. Um, and so it felt like I had to go back and try and um, and put it in 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 literary terms. So so to write a novel, uh, you know, based on what I had seen and 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 what I had felt. So it was that moment six years ago, uh, you know, in this small office that that uh, changed my life. And I went back then several times mm. and rode on Rami's motorbike and walked through checkpoints with Bassam and and tried to get to understand their lives. So, I mean, describing it now, in hindsight, it sounds like it all came together in in one moment. Like, was it that straightforward, you know, where what I'm picturing is they kind of are just talking face to face with a bunch of people like, this is what happened to us. And did you instantly kind of see a place for yourself in that story that they were already telling like did you feel a responsibility to it or did it take a while what what was that like that's a great question I did feel a, a responsibility to it but I'll be honest with you I was terrified mm. I mean completely terrified I mean here I am I'm from Dublin I live in New York mm-hmm. uh, you know and 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 uh, I don't really know the landscape of um, Israel and Palestine the way I would have wanted to to, to, to have known it mm. um, and I thought am I going to do this am I going to step into that territory how dangerous is this you know there are all sorts of issues about you know appropriation about honesty, about engagement, about politics. You're stepping into a cauldron, you know, and and, and yet I felt the responsibility to the story because the story was so human, so deeply, deeply belonging to everyone, (laughs) whether we live in Dublin, whether we live in Kentucky, whether we live in Jericho, Jerusalem itself. It's a story of two men who, against all odds, become friends and speak out against all odds, again, uh, for the possibility of uh, knowing one another uh, in one of the most contentious areas, of course, uh, on the face of planet Earth. Yeah, I mean, and that that contention, that the conflict, the occupation, that's so real, obviously, for the people living there. But, you know, for me, I haven't ever been there. And I think for a lot of the rest of the world, it's this huge, it's almost an existential fight that's happening, you know? And so I I wonder, like, did you go there to try and face up to that? Or did you want to take it on as, you know, as an artist? Or were you just kind of going there because, I don't know, like you were invited and, and you were curious? 
No, I wanted to go there because a, a, a part of me was was drawn to that area. I'd written a novel called Transatlantic, and a large part of that mm-hmm. was about the the peace process in Northern Ireland, which I think is probably one of the great stories of the end of the the twentieth century, not just in Ireland but you know all around the world, and maybe still, despite the fact that it's shaky now, uh, one of the great ongoing stories, um, you know, of the twenty first century. Um, yeah, and you know, I thought. Uh, I talked to Senator George Mitchell and, and, and he said to me sort of offhand, uh, he said, well, if you think Ireland is complicated, you, you know, you should try the Middle East. <laughs> and he had been two years. That's like a diplomat small talk, just like, oh, you want to go over. <laughs> exactly. And, wow. and, and, um, and, and, you know, I was fascinated by this, but I also knew that uh, I was stepping into uh, sort of uncharted waters. And, um, you know, the three best words in the world, obviously, w- when you tell someone that you love them, that's a, that, that, mm-hmm. that's a a fantastic thing but some of the three best here's words, your money here's your money is a great one <laughs> you know, well, yeah here's your money um i don't know um or i am confused um mm. and i think the ability to embrace uh the confusion to say i don't know was something that 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 actually worked for me i went to Israel yeah. and Palestine with no real skin in the game. I'm not Israeli. I'm not Palestinian. I'm not Muslim. Yeah. I'm not Jewish. And, you know, um, there, 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 there was so much there that I wanted to get at about, you know, the themes of um, peace and engagement and, 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 and decency and kindness. But um, as, as you said, the book, you know, is structurally sort of difficult uh, at first. And believe it or not, I don't think a writer should ever say this. You, do you tell me? I, I sort of set out to deliberately confuse myself and the reader in the beginning of the book. Oh, so, I mean, are you talking about it's written in these 1001 sort of cantos? Yes. I learned that word from you, actually, which Thank is you. like, um, you know, different scraps, different sizes of text. And then there, you know, it brings you to different places and then they all kind of come together to make this big symphony, an orchestra of words. And like you did that to confuse yourself? Is that what you're saying? Or to throw yourself off? Or what yeah. do you mean? To acknowledge my own confusion in relation to um, the story and to, to, to present the confusion to the reader in a certain way and to say to them and to say to myself, it's okay to be confused. Because mm-hmm. guess what? Even in relation to Northern Ireland and having lived there and you know lived in Dublin, my mom's from Derry, having studied the peace process, I'm still confused mm-hmm. about certain issues you know, in Irish history. And, and, and I think it's a good thing for us because I think nowadays we're diseased with certainty. You know, everybody's certain about this particular politics. You're either red or you're blue or you're Fine Gael or Fine Fault, whatever it happens mm-hmm. to be. And the, the answer for most of us lies in the middle. And I think sort of acknowledging, um, you know, that, that, that we don't know everything that's going on, but what we do know is the pulse of the human heartbeat. Um, that was something that I wanted to get at. So, so the start of the book, you know, goes from flights of birds to the history of weaponry, yeah to a young girl who gets shot and another girl who gets, you know, is involved in a suicide bombing. It's, um, and, and, and deliberately sort of for the reader at first, they have to embrace the confusion and then say, it's okay to be confused. And then 
uh, continue on into the story. And that was uh, yeah. one of the things that, that and also I, I structured it in 1001 Cantos as a sort of literary nod to um, uh, the Arabian Nights or 1001 Nights. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. You know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about um, this other book, which is a nonfiction book, Say Nothing, by Patrick Radden Keefe about... Love that book. Yeah, isn't it cool? Like, you know, it's about one uh, missing, murdered woman and the bigger peace process. But again, he was somebody, as you mentioned, like no skin in the game, right? Mm -hmm. I think he kind of had this outsider's eye and came in with this big question that he was very honest about not knowing and having to learn. And it speaks to what you mentioned as well. You know, there's like this danger of, you know, appropriation or um, taking that could lead to erasure. But it sounds like to avoid reproducing that harm, it really helps to just be humble (laughs) about it. Yeah, I mean, th- th- that's a really good, good, good way to put it because this issue of cultural appropriation is very real. And everybody who talks yeah. about it is entirely correct because we have been plundering and stereotyping and patronizing, you know, whether we be politicians or corporations or indeed right. artists for years and years and years. But there's a, on the same hand, if you walk in somewhere with your head bowed and you say, I would like to learn from you. Uh, you know, uh, can, you know. Can you increase my culture by sort of giving me access to 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 your ideas? Um, you know, I don't know. I am confused. Teach me. Um, mm-hmm. I think we, we we can change that uh, that that debate in certain ways. So so it becomes about cultural celebration. What say nothing did for 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 Northern Ireland was gave people a chance to breathe into the uh, into the book and and and, and into the, the the human story of it and understand the politics later uh, instead mm. of being you know bombarded by facts and figures and, and history because the true history i think lives in the sort of more anonymous corners and uh, you know that's what i was trying to get at even though rami and basam are not anonymous mm. um they tell they just tell these stories that break your heart yeah, um, there was there's there's one character who, again, I'm assuming is the is based on Smadar's real mother, uh, Nurit is her name, and she's this well-known university professor uh, like yourself in real life. And in the novel, there's one point where Nurit says, "I'll just quote the line: uh, the only way to fight against the inanity was to speak out against it in the vain hope that one might be heard." most especially at learning institutions where minds were still pliable and the poison had not, at least not yet, penetrated the consciousness. And as you're speaking about, you know, (laughs) times when we might get our minds changed or we might not come to it with our minds already made up, do you think there, you know, there's, it's a stage in our in our youth? Does it get too late? I mean, you still teach as well, don't you? So is there an ideal time for us to kind of come to this? I mean, one would one would hope that the ideal time would be, uh, you know, when when we're younger. Uh, yeah. And so we'd have have a better time uh, and a longer time uh, to, to negotiate it. But there's any time at all is a time is a time for openness. I mean, Rami himself mm-hmm. admits to the fact that he it wasn't until he was in his forties that he began to see the human face of Palestinians. This was after his daughter was killed when he saw a Palestinian woman step off a bus, clutching a photograph of her um, her late daughter 
to her chest. And he suddenly realized, um, you know, the way grief operates. Uh, and, you know, he, he, he changed. And I think mm-hmm. we all have uh, the ability to change. I mean, if we can sort of do it in our schools uh, and, and, and if we begin to sort of know one another, uh, you know, I do this um, uh, group, as I said, Narrative 4, where we bring kids from uh, eastern Kentucky uh, and they meet with kids from the South Bronx. They're supposedly <laughs> incredibly different to one another, you know, one group mm-hmm. primarily black, one group primarily white, one group primarily blue, one group primarily Trump red. Right. And yet when they get together and tell one another stories, all of those things dissolve. Now, that's not, uh, you know, pie in the sky sort of stuff, because stories are dangerous and, 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 and stories can take away a lot of things. But also, I think, uh, especially with Rami and Bassam, they can help us uh, to heal and to know one another. Yeah. And, you know, as well, like the fact that Rami, you know, you said he was in his 40s and it, it took such a such a horrific thing to happen to, to him, to his child you know, it's such a generous, beautiful impulse to then say, okay, you don't need to go through this. Like, I can just tell you, <laughs> you know, right. about the humanity of others or here's what to to remember, you know. Um, is there, I don't want to be like tacky now, but I felt yeah. a real cinematic feeling. Maybe it's just because I'm watching so much TV as well in lockdown, <laughs> but like I could really see um, this book on a screen and obviously there's, there'd be complications. It's based on real people and everything, but do you write to that? Like, I, it seems like a really visual book. Um, that was that, was that on your mind? Are you watching a lot of telly too? <laughs> you know, I, I, I kind of, when, when I teach writing, I often say to my students, you think of yourself as a language camera. So you're a camera and you're in the room but you're creating it uh, with language um, because that's the currency of, you know, you know how, we, uh, how we look at the world now. We've been taught so much by film. We've been taught so much by, 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 by TV yeah. that, 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 you know, literature can get at that too. But I think literature can get at it in a deeper and, and, and more powerful way so, so that the novel can actually contain everything or at least suggest everything. One of the beauties of, of, of literature is that we can live all these lives um, that we wouldn't necessarily uh, know, not just looking at them from the outside, but dwelling inside them. So what I want the reader to do is to be in the what yeah. it, the pulse of the moment, if you will, like to be there when Rami, uh, you know, hears the news, to be there when Bassam hears the news. And that was what, what was hard for, for, for the lads, for, for Rami and Bassam, who have become my, my best fr- among my best friends. Mm. Uh, it was hard for them to read the book because for the first time ever, they said, oh, I, I really was re-experiencing um, this thing again. And yeah, and they're actually involved. There is a film um, and it's being developed right now. And their uh, families are going to be um, consulting to try and get it right. Because it's, you know, it as you say, it's difficult right. territory. There's real people. There's political implications. There's all of these things that are going on. So we're trying to do, to, to develop a, um, a film and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, I, I would love it mostly because I think I, I would like to see this story extended out into the world. I believe that Rami and Bassam are as powerful as Aaron Duttai Roy and John Hume and, you know, even Martin Luther King and Gandhi, you know, their story um, is, is that powerful that I think it has the ability to change the way uh, that we look at the world. And if we can get, you know, a, a film out on, on, on top of a, a book 
the more people will get get to hear the essential message. And the essential message is what Bassam says, mm-hmm. the Palestinian says, he says, listen, you know what? If we don't know each other above ground, we will end up knowing each other six feet below ground. And let's not do that. Oh my uh, God. And, um, and that's a that, that that's a yeah. very simple but powerful message. And they chose not to turn justice into revenge, mm-hmm. which was amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. And um, yeah, you know, that's I hadn't even thought of them reading reading the book. And you know, there's such detail, and it's such horror when right. the girls are killed. Um, and I did feel like. I had a process question for you, Colin, because the I thought the research it really put me there. Like, yes, with the, the big scenes and the and the violence, but also like there's this one scene where um, you know, one of them is doing his training as a as an Israeli soldier, and there's the lens he goes to like not to let the water make a sound in his canteen, and I, it was <laughs> I was like holding my breath as if I was there, like creeping around, not let, you know, and I have never been a soldier or anything close to it. So my question for your, for the process was, did you research as you were writing or did you kind of figure out, okay, like I really need to know about this. I'm going to go and learn about this type of bird, this type of training in the IDF, or did you go and research it all and, you know, one go and come back and write or what did you, what was your process? It was it was a combination of both. I went over mm. there several times. So, for example, um, you know, I re- read about Beit Jala, the town of Beit Jala, and I heard there was a bird ringing center in Beit Jala. And I said, what the hell is a bird ringing center? Turns out it's, it's about bird banding. Now, I knew nothing about birds, knew nothing about ornithology or, 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 or really? anything. I, not, not, not a thing. But, yeah. but I, got, I got into it and I was fascinated by it. And it gave me that beauty. It was, also was an essential image because I wanted readers like birds to arrive from Ireland, readers to r- arrive from Sweden, from Algeria, from South Africa, which is what happens on the, 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 the migratory hi- superhighway uh, above Israel and Palestine. Birds from all over the world, billions of birds from all over the world use that as a flyover. And, and it turned out to me to be an image. So I researched as I went along. And then I went to the, um, you know, the center in Palestine, the bird ringing center, and, and, mm-hmm. and was out with the ornithologist and we found a little songbird in one of the mist nets. And then in my own head, I, I remembered, oh, that's really interesting because I remember reading once about Francois Mitron and his last meal and it was a songbird. Oh and my all God, of these yeah. <laughs> started yeah. to collide. So my head was a bit like a, a carnival and, and you said re- really nicely that it was like a symphony. I, I did feel that I was conducting a symphony, but the mm. symphony didn't necessarily just belong to me. It belonged to lots of different people. So with the birds, with the ornithology, as you said, it's about my migration and people, you know, coming to a place and, and landing there for a while. And uh, I think it also added like some like literal levity, right? Because you get this breather and then you're back in it again. But overall, um, the question I want to ask you is about nature and, you know, nature in the book and people, of course, are in nature too. And there's these birds and then there's this militarized border. And there's one scene that was like funny in a dark way where there's like riot control material and they're advertising it as like (laughs) eco-friendly. But There's just all of this like coercion and control and, and it knocks things out of natural uh, synchronicity. And, 
you know, that of course made me think about climate change, about climate chaos and something that's pressing on on all of us. And I wanted to get your, you know, your take on on that. Well, I know that you 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 work with Mary Robinson on climate change, and I, I've, I've I'm I'm her mentor. <laughs> well done, <laughs> well done. I have massive. This is really important, and I think that some something extraordinary is in the process of happening, and we're maybe not even recognizing it. In terms of talking about nature, we, there's this principle of emergence, where you know, for instance, with a flock of birds, one individual bird is beautiful and clever in its own right, but two birds, or, or 12 birds, or a 1,000 or 500,000 birds bring their intelligence together and they become so much more than that one thing. Uh, and, and ants do the same thing. We find this replicated in, in, in nature in several different ways, in coral reefs and all sorts of things. And trees, yeah. And trees. And, 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 and I think that we are on the cusp of an ability for, for us to use stories and storytelling in a principle of emergence that goes towards uh, a different form of decency. And, and I would use, sort of, say, Greta uh, Thunberg as, a, a, as an example. You know, here's a young girl mm. who at eight years old gets, gets upset, at 11 years old uh, decides that, you know, she's going to, uh, you know, walk out of class or, or whatever age she was that it happened to be. And mm-hmm. she uh, was an outlier at first, but now she's part of a whole movement that we're all uh, indebted to and we're all complicit in uh, in extraordinary ways and this principle of emergence can possibly be applied to the idea of peace too so mm. that there might be a greta in you know ramallah or in jericho or mm. in uh, you know haifa and it will begin to use stories and storytelling to lift us out of our our, our abulia, you know, our, our indifference to the things that, that, that are going on. So, um, you know, I think um, we're on the cusp of, or, or we're in the midst of something mm. powerful happening in terms of how we relate to the big issues of our day. Well, thank you so much for your voice on that and, you know, for spending this time with us today. It was just brilliant to hear from you and thanks for the book. Thanks, Colin. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in to the other episodes as we count down to the 2021 Dublin Literary Award winner announcement. And wherever you're listening from, you are invited to join us for the online award ceremony on Thursday, the 20th of May. You can book your free ticket at www.ilfdublin.com and browse all the other fantastic events in this year's International Literature Festival Dublin programme. Thank you.